coming up. And if we can show that we made some money off of Ladawana and this is either a good starting point or a good funding opportunity to get the entire next movie off the ground, I think that will really show people that this can be a sustainable path that puts decision-making power back into the hands of the filmmaker as well as income to keep your dream alive. Demystified is a production of StudioFest. If you're ready to make a micro-budget feature, submit your film or screenplay now at filmfreeway.com slash studiofest. This episode of Demystified is brought to you by ArmorLock. This series exists in both video and podcast form, and is designed to be experienced either way. You can find the video version at moviemaker.com, or the audio version wherever you get your podcasts. Just a quick note before the show. Jess and Charles will be on a panel at FraudCon, a free two-day virtual summit hosted by Film Launch, designed to educate filmmakers, actors, producers, and investors on the prevalence of fraud and theft in the film industry, and give them tools to keep from getting conned as they build their careers. The event takes place April 24th and 25th, and Jess and Charles will be part of a panel about predatory sales and distribution in the indie film world on Sunday, April 25th, 10.30 a.m. to noon Pacific. A link for more info is in the description. From StudioFest and Movie Maker Magazine, this is Demystified, a series about an innovative new way to make movies and what it really takes to make an indie feature film. My name is Jake Bowen, and this series is about shedding light on the parts of getting an indie film made that are never seen and rarely talked about, through the lens of StudioFest, a one-of-a-kind annual film festival that awards up-and-coming writers and directors the chance to make a feature film. Louis Lumiere, one of the early pioneers of motion picture technology, allegedly said that cinema was an invention without a future. The sentiment being that once the novelty of moving pictures wore off, what would really be the point of watching a film of, say, a train pulling into a station, when you could just see one in real life? We know that it would go on to spawn an entire new art form, but as with most nascent technologies, the people of the time struggled to see its application beyond the current paradigm. This has been on our minds because Charles has been looking into a new technology called NFTs, and he recently talked to filmmaker Trevor Hawkins and his team about their upcoming movie, Ladawana. And Ladawana has the distinction of being the first ever film to be released as NFTs. You may have heard about NFTs in the news lately, of how an artist named Beeple used NFTs to make over $69 million, auctioning off entirely digital artwork. $69 million. I think it probably means digital artists here to stay. I'm going to Disney World! <laughs> and if you're like me, your first reaction was probably that the whole thing sounds like inscrutable, made-up internet voodoo magic. So in this conversation with the Ladawana crew, we're going to do our best to explain what NFTs are, at least a little bit, and why filmmakers and other digital artists should be paying attention to them. My name is Trevor Hawkins, and I am the writer-director of Ladawana, the first movie of all time to be released as NFTs on the blockchain. I'm Tucker. I'm the digital strategist on what we're doing with this movement with the movie. He was also a critter catcher on the movie. 
<laughs> and I'm Nathan. I'm one of the two producers on the film, along with Trevor's wife, Corey. And I was also the first AD on the movie. I'm going to introduce you to Corey, my wife, the co-producer of Lottawana, along Hi. with Nathan. She's taking care of our son. This has actually kind of been a nightmare because Tucker, Nathan, and I have all had newborns in, within like the last year or so. And so now we're all trying to wrangle fussy children on top of this whole NFT craze thing. <laughs> well, that'll be fun. They'll all uh, grow up together and Latawana will be your marker on that. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining today. Uh, Thanks so much for reaching out, man. We're excited to do this with you. So Latawana is about a young couple that sort of give up on their superficial materialistic lives and try to reinvent a world for themselves out on a sailboat. And maybe because of a bit of their lack of preparedness, the world crashes down on them. And so the whole movie exists as a thought experiment to the viewer of, can you rewrite your own rules of modern existence or does society operate the way it does for a reason? Where do you live at here? I don't know. I just think everybody struggles. And if I'm gonna struggle, it better be for a life that's worth it. This to me, this is my life that's worth the struggle. This is how I want to barely get by. <laughs> And that was just, those themes were kind of born out of where I was in my life at the time. Um, I had this option to go sail around the world for a few years. I actually went and bought a sailboat with a buddy to do it. But if I were to leave on that journey, I'd have to give up on my dearest goal. What I've always been working towards is becoming a filmmaker. Um, I wanted to make movies and I thought that, man, like, should I really just give everything up in my life to go throw everything to the wind and just sail around the world? Or should I stay home and make a movie? And that's sort of the interface between those two ideas, sort of into the wild vibes. And like, we've heard it put realism versus idealism. That interface is really interesting to me because I think a lot of people really struggle with that. And now that all three of us have new kids, we have all these things we want to do and try to live like unique alternative lifestyles, but then we still have to put food in their mouths. So there's just like, a, it's a really common struggle that I don't think gets talked about that much. Trevor, tell me a little bit how you almost died. <laughs> <laughs> I was filming in an underwater cave just with a snorkel, no air tank. The couple in the movie are swimming and the water was freezing. It was so cold. And I was just pushing myself too far. I was trying to hold my breath longer and longer because once I like get myself in position, get my camera focused, get it exposed underwater and I'm like losing air the whole time. And then once I'm on that shot locked in, like, oh yeah, I don't really need air I, right now. Like I'd rather just hang on to the shot instead of breathe. And I did that a few too many times. And uh, Nathan looked it up afterwards and what had happened to my body was I started getting lightheaded underwater. Like I just had a lack of oxygen to my brain. Luckily I was with it enough to like swim up to the surface and I had my camera and I don't really remember it well, but I remember handing my camera to somebody on the shore and they took it from me and then they just knew something was wrong and they walked me up and Charles, have you ever been drunk and try to act like you're not drunk? Uh, oh Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how, that's how it felt because I knew something was weird with my brain and I knew I wasn't feeling right. And I tried to act totally normal because I didn't want to freak people out. But I guess it was obvious that it wasn't working. <laughs> Nathan told me not 
to lay down. I sat down and then I laid down and closed my eyes and they were worried, but Nathan, he, uh, yeah, he knew that I'd be pretty bummed if this kept us from getting to the next location on time. So <laughs> I don't know if you want to jump in and defend yourself there. <laughs> got nothing to defend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Trevor, when he got out of the water, and then I just noticed he was moving in like slow motion and talking in slow motion. <laughs> so we sat him down, we got him some water, we fed him some grapes. We wouldn't let him, you know, go to sleep. If we wanted to be at our next location, which was like three hours away at dusk, which I knew he wanted to be there at that time, uh, then we had to leave in like the next 15 minutes. And the other thing is, if he was going to need hospital attention, we needed to get out of there anyway. There was no ambulance that was going to find us. You know, we were in the middle of the woods, basically. And then once we were on our way, we just kept tracking at all times where the nearest hospital was in case we needed to detour, but we, but we didn't. And then uh, we got to the location in time. And it's some of the best footage in the movie. The location that we were at, there was no bottom. It was an underwater cavern system. <laughs> there was like the depth had never been like figured out. <laughs> we would have lost him forever. <laughs> yeah. And I, I went down instead of up, that would have been it. Like, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, definitely to me strikes me as the epitome of a good uh, director producer relationship. Like, yeah. I know you're dying, but I know you're going to kill yourself if you don't get that shot. So. Yeah. yeah. We also dunked one of our uh, red cameras. It was shot on red. I was hanging off the side of the boat, shooting down the hole, like right above the waterline as we were sailing down the lake. And sure enough, like a rogue roller came and splashed the camera. And so we had to send it off. And luckily, one of our buddies on the set, he had the exact same camera as me. And so he just let us use his camera to finish the movie out. After that, he was okay lending it. Yeah. <laughs> we did a couple of Cameron, a few precarious situations that he wasn't totally knowledgeable of, but we had we messed up his camera, we would have bought him a new one or fixed it. Yeah, it's the uh, ask, uh, don't ask permission, ask for forgiveness. There you go. <laughs> 100%. Okay, let's talk about NFTs. If you go to LottawanaMovie.com, you'll find a link to their page on a marketplace where you can purchase shares of ownership of their film via NFTs. NFT stands for Non-Fungible Token. There's tons of information online if you want to do a deep dive, but for the purposes of this conversation, all you really need to know is this. When you purchase a digital asset via an NFT, the NFT is like a digital certificate which verifies that you are the undisputed owner of that digital asset. This system allows digital assets like JPEG images, animated GIFs, the first ever tweet, or a share of a movie to be bought and sold in much the same way as physical commodities, where things like scarcity and supply and demand are at play. So just like how a traditional painter could sell 100 signed copies of his paintings, a digital painter could mint 100 NFTs to sell 100 unique copies of his digital artwork. Now, why would someone pay money for the official version of a digital picture when anyone else on the internet can just right-click and save the same picture to their hard drive? Well, I guess for the same reason someone paid $450 million for Da Vinci's Salvatore Mundi, even though anyone can hang a high-quality print of it for free in their living room. And NFTs have some advantages of their own. If the traditional painter sells a piece for $100, he's made $100. The digital painter sells an NFT for $100. Yes, he's made $100, but he's also entitled to a cut of every future resale of that NFT. In other words, built-in, instantaneous, no-hassle residuals on your artwork. 
all of that is very cool, but most of the things people have been using NFTs for so far are more or less just analogs for things you can already do in the physical world, which is why we're hearing about art auctions and stuff. But just as the Lumiere brothers couldn't imagine what their invention would be used for someday, I think the real potential of NFTs will be in uses we haven't even thought of yet. It's the first time we've seen digital assets be able to hold a value more so than what we've seen from traditional physical you know, paintings or films. You know, it's, it's created this space that is evolving and we don't know quite the scope of what will happen with it. Just by you know, creating an NFT as an artist, you create it on like the Ethereum network. And then every time you sell that NFT, you get residual income driven from that. And so what that does is that's putting the power back into the artist's hands to retain their value, to not have a middleman. I think it's going to drive a new world of digital art that we have yet to see. And we're just happy to be part of that. So a lot of people see NFTs as art and it's like owning one of so many issued of that art. But for me, the longstanding value is in the contracts or the agreements that are assigned with the tokens. You guys sold portions of your film and ownership of your film and are doing that via these tokens, via NFTs. Uh, that's an agreement that you're signing with somebody. It's like having all the same contracts we have today, but hosted via something that uh, can't be controlled by any one party anymore, except for the, the mentor or the creator of that. Can you tell me about that decision into sharing and selling Ladawana through NFTs? You know, Tucker was the one that first, you know, kind of smelled the opportunity. And even though I didn't fully understand in the 10 minutes when he was explaining it to me, I did understand that time was of the essence and that this was something we really needed to seize upon. And we don't know what's going to happen either. We do know that we feel like it's already been successful just for the sheer fact that we've been able to separate our film from the noise of, you know, the oversaturated market, but we're still open to uh, where this goes. I'm really proud of the team that we decided to own the movie ourselves from the get-go because we were able to take this opportunity without asking permission. We just had to look at each other and be like, do you guys you want to do this? And so we did. We're also using it as an opportunity, not just to market ourselves and get out there, not just to make some income as independent filmmakers through the NFT space, but by adding this kind of real world value application to the NFTs, we're also using this as an opportunity to be experimental uh, within the market, uh, within our industry. And we don't know how this is all going to land. And we know that there are a lot of people just kind of watching to see what happens. And we're, we're happy to be the guinea pigs. And that's partly why we valued the things at what we did. You know, we have some things at a thousand, some at a hundred, some at one, uh, because we wanted to, not just for us, but just for the industry to be able to see the data and the results as simply as possible. That's exciting times. We don't know where we're going to be in a couple months with the movie, uh, but we do know one way or another that we will release it this year. We just don't know who uh, the partner is going to be in that. And uh, we kind of consider this moment right now, and like speaking with you, for example, this feels kind of like our festival run 
and the world premiere with our NFT would be like the equivalent of if we premiered at Cannes or whatever. But when we started to have this movie ready to go, it was pretty disheartening to see what film festivals in the era of COVID were like. Because, you know, that's like the best part about being an independent filmmaker is you work so hard on all this. You want to go meet other filmmakers. You want to meet potential distribution partners. You want to meet potential investors for your future projects. So obviously it's very strange that this is the way that it's that it's evolved, but we've always kind of had this somewhat of a throw caution to the wind kind of attitude. So it's just funny and fitting. We feel like that this is happening. Yeah. You really are using uh, your limitations to your advantage here. You can't go to festivals. So you're obligated to do digital. Well, do digital big like you guys have. To piggyback on what Nathan said a little bit is um, we really look at this as a good opportunity to show the industry that this can be a viable path. And our entire end goal with the whole thing is to make enough money to get our next movie off the ground. Because every filmmaker listening to this right now knows what challenge it is to raise funds for a film. And if we can show that, wow, we we made some money off of Lottawana and this is either a good starting point or a good funding opportunity to get the entire next movie off the ground, I think that will really show people that this can be a sustainable path that puts decision-making power back into the hands of the filmmaker as well as income to keep your dream alive. I am wondering where you guys see the future of NFTs and film, if, if you're able to share some of that vision and what your experience is pointing you towards. My hunch is that NFTs are here to stay because of what Tucker explained. The verifiability on the blockchain creates a new space for digital artists and musicians and filmmakers that is not going anywhere. Whether we, we're living in an inflated bubble right now with the prices of some of these things is still to be determined. It, it could be possible. But what we're finding is people are adding value to these sort of legacy tokens. And what those are is like people really care about like the first tweet that Jack Dorsey minted or like the Elon Musk tweet or like the first albums and the first art and the first NBA thing. And now us, the first movie, first out of the gate, we're really counting and finding that like we're turning into one of those things that people care about. Like ever since Screen Ramp first released our story uh, about our historical NFT drop, things have been moving fast for us. We've been approached by a lot of different people. We've been approached by a few distributors. We've been approached by other NFT releasing platforms, by publications. We're taking it one step at a time. We're really excited to like be the ones pioneering this new space because as Nathan said, we really don't totally know what's going to happen, but it feels right. It feels exciting. I mortgaged my house to pay for the production of the movie and we went about this whole thing a very unorthodox way and are releasing out into the world right now this is about as unorthodox as you could get and as you know legions of indie films get released every year and we're just one of those we happen to find ourselves right at the right place at the right time to sort of cut through some of the clutter and get hopefully some eyeballs on it i mean from my perspective it's important to continue to be unorthodox with this if you go back to orthodoxy a lot of this advantage could be lost it just makes me think of all the indie filmmaker careers that have been stifled because they weren't able to take the hits that more established systems can. And to me, NFTs are an opportunity to take back control. There's a lot of bad actors and a lot of, you know, devious plays. And right now you guys have an opportunity to circumnavigate that and and force them to be better as well. It's also the way the industry kind of has always been, you know, even when like VHS first came out and they were selling them for like a hundred dollars a piece. And then, you know, Blockbuster came around and was like, hmm, I could 
rent these for $3 a piece. And they got sued and all that stuff. And then, you know, with the boom of the film festival circuit in the 90s, uh, becoming another way where independent filmmakers could could reach audiences. And then I don't know how viable the film festival path has been for 10 years or more, you know? So it's like, there's always this constant struggle of independents trying to express themselves and reach audiences as purely as possible. And then the larger forces within the industry trying to, you know, fence that in and capitalize on it and control it again. It just seems like it happens every 30 years or something in, in, in film, you know? We created Studio Fest because we weren't getting the answers or the experiences we wanted in film festivals. There was a lot of run around. You never knew if you were going to meet the person that was going to finance your next film. In fact, unless you got into a tier one, you weren't going to find anybody to help you make your next movie. So we created a festival that cut out all the fat and it said, whoever wins our festival, we are going to finance and produce their feature film. So we're trying to answer exactly what you're talking about. You know, there's definitely festivals out there that are just riding that wave and they don't intend to do anything for filmmakers. They're benefiting from submission fees and ticket sales, but they're not thinking about the filmmaker. And then there's also just a lot of films out there. It makes it really hard to stand out, which you guys have. You know, there's there's a lot of things that are changing and I think you guys can help to push things in the right direction. You know, if there's a lot of competition, decentralizing is the key to that. Giving people more access to investing and participating in movies gives us all our own audience rather than everyone trying to benefit from the same audience. Absolutely. It, everything you said kind of reminds me of, I don't know about where these musicians stand now, but I know that when Macklemore first came out and when Sturgill Simpson came out, they would own all the rights to their music and then they would release it the way they see fit. And everything you're saying seems like it fits that perfectly. That's kind of what we're doing right now in the movie world. Uh, we're keeping all the rights to ourselves and we're actually inviting other people to join in on that with us. But we're, we're keeping total control of the movie and the way this movie actually gets distributed. We're kicking around a bunch of ideas, but one of them is even... If we're able to prove that this is a viable case study for a path for a filmmaker, then our main goal would be just to get as many eyeballs on the movie as possible. So if we could release some sort of sort of PR push and put the movie out into the world, perhaps even for free, then that would be a game changer. We haven't decided on that entirely. That's just one of the ideas that we're kicking around. We've got some other offers on the table as well that we're kind of weighing. But uh, yeah, we're trying to rethink this whole thing from the ground up. And just like how the musicians, they can just put their music out on Spotify. And that would be kind of the same thing for us. Like what if we did like a YouTube and a Vimeo release where we just kind of make residuals on playbacks like Spotify does for musicians. And we kind of chart this new course in this NFT space, maybe that'll open some new doors for the industry as a whole. Who knows? That's what's cool about being this on the edge of something, you know, Trevor was talking about putting it out there for free. You know, there's an example of Radiohead doing that in the past, and they even offer like a pay, pay what you can or pay what you want to pay. And they end up making a lot of money because not everybody's taking their, their cut, you know, maybe it's less money spent, but it's more money kept it's, it's when you open yourself up to that dynamic it's it's no longer the institution or organization that is making money off of you it's the people that are consuming the content that you create and if they can directly contribute to your success to me the value of that is 
I see like a whole new marketplace just on how to fund new projects. I mean, I was talking to my friend the other day. He's a game artist at Disney and he works, you know, pretty diligently on games, but he has, you know, one game that he's been working on the artwork himself and he doesn't have the, the funds to get a developer to work on it. And so we kicked around the idea of, you know, you could potentially just put up your artwork, your pre-pro as collectibles and fund your future projects. And I see that opportunity in film as well. Even in like the technical space, you could see software companies like say Adobe Creative Cloud, like your, your license could be an NFT. You know, as long as you own that NFT, you have a license to a software. So like the scope is huge. It's just a really, really exciting time for artists. For the first time ever, I think it's addressing the elephant in the room that, you know, as digital artists, we have made things that we just share and we basically give it away for free. This is validating our talents, keeping food on our plates, potentially. So the future looks bright for cinema, art, music. Like that's so cool for our, our generation of creatives. I mean, that's all of our art is, is digital. More after the break. I know that every independent filmmaker is asking, how do we, regardless of NFTs, they're asking, how do we find financing for our films? You know, will will we from here be able to do what's done traditionally as like a pre-sale? You know, will we be able to do pre-sales through NFTs? Um, I don't know. It's something we'll be looking into. So we don't know yet how to finance independent movies through this we have ideas and we're going to try them that's what we're in the process of doing in real time right now is creating yeah. that case study so like nathan said we can't tell you 100 if it's going to work but through the assets that we have from our first film and the assets we're currently creating for our next film putting all those together creates a source of income that is just ours entirely so we will be the sole owners of what we decide to do with that for the production of the next film so that's our that's our goal right now What's what's really weird about it is we've all, all three of us, as well as my wife and everyone else on Lottawana team, put our blood, sweat, and tears into this movie for so long that it's kind of wild that as the movie's coming out of the world, we're talking so much about NFT and the blockchain. I was I had no idea what it was until Tucker told me about it. And so just like the rest of the world, I was just frantically Googling what the hell an NFT was. And so I never in a million years could have guessed that this is the avenue that we would have taken to get the movie out into the world and that I would have been talking so much about the stuff I don't really know that much about yet. But it's really exciting because now people are talking about the movie. And like I explained earlier, we're really excited about the story of the movie itself. And the films we want to make moving forward into the future are ones that have like richness and thought provoking and maybe challenge the mind and the soul a little bit. And so we really want to use capitalize on this moment to be able to tell stories that hopefully inspire and push people. Maybe, hopefully that'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, what I, what I love about Latawana is that it questions the status quo. And that's exactly what you're doing with NFTs as well, is questioning the status quo and 
I think that's critical to do today. And the way you're doing it is going to help a lot of people as well. Thank you. That was very well yeah. put. Yeah, it's really nice to hear too, because it gets annoying after a while when everyone starts telling you what these rules are with films. Like, oh, your film has to have name actors. It has to be a high concept genre piece and stuff like that. It's just, you get sick of hearing it. I'm sure you've hear, heard it a lot too. It's like, what do you mean rules? There's not, there's not supposed to be rules in this. You're supposed to be able to do whatever you want, you know? I'm not pissed about that at all. <laughs> you go back to our Demystified series, we go like the first two episodes, we're at AFM. And every, we're hearing time and time again from every distributor we talk to. They're like, if it doesn't have names, if it's uh, a drama, then there's nothing I can do for you. And that's not what we made, but it excludes a lot of people. You can't, you're confining a lot of people. And yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's these rules that, that uh, the industry talks about. And I think it's because they're afraid to change. That's why they're, they're creating things they can trust because they're risk averse. Yeah. yeah. I just, it just, like I said before, this just feels like the time where everything needs to get shook up again. I mean, there were articles before NFT came out, like the same week before talking about how, you know, now there's a new movie where Oscar Isaac is playing Francis Ford Coppola and it's a dramatization of the making of The Godfather. And then, you know, you have James Franco in the same article they were talking about, yeah. the making of The Room you know, with him playing this other guy and just talking about the industry being a snake that's eating its own tail. And I, I just, I think a lot of people have felt they're feeling franchise fatigue. Star Wars is great. Marvel is great, but what else is out there? You know, what I think is one of the most valuable things when that I think scares a lot of people, but you can find your audience it's out there and something like yeah. this NFTs, decentralized networks, that's going to give you access to your audience because there's a lot of people in this world and they don't all want to watch uh, superhero movies. Yeah. yeah. Nailed it, man. I mean, that's kind of the double-edged sword of wanting to do something different with the movie. Um, so a lot of one is kind of an unorthodox movie and you want to do something different to get noticed, but you get penalized if you do something different because nobody wants to take a risk on you because no one's done it yet. And so you kind of live in this like purgatory limbo state. Once you're famous, we want to talk to you or once you prove it works, we want to talk to you. So you kind of have like, you're left with having to do it all yourself, which is why this NFT thing felt so great. And the, the, the flip side that is so annoying is if we had done what everyone else had done so that we could have gotten those sales agents to say, okay, cool. I know what this is. I know how to sell this. Then it's out there and it's just the same as everything else. So it's like, you think you won because maybe you got it distributed, but then nobody cares because it's not unique. Nathan, maybe you could talk a little bit about what it was like when we were talking about financing for Lotta Wanna in the very beginning and why we decided to take it upon ourselves. So when we decided we were going to make our first film, we were shaking every you know connection that we had and seeing what opportunities there were. And one of them was uh, there was a guy in particular who was associated with, with Redbox. The concept that he had was Sure, we'll basically do a pre-sale direct to Redbox, or he would facilitate that as the investor because he had those connections, but they would have to approve the cast. And then basically that was going to pigeonhole us into like a 15 to 20 day shoot tops. And so we started to get a little worried because we're like, okay, it's kind of like I was saying, you know, you, you met expectations, but you didn't exceed them. So you didn't really win anything. You didn't win the game. And so it's like, well, if we got film financing, that feels like a win, but 
are we going to have the opportunity to really sink our teeth into this and, and really stretch and see what we can do? And we decided that, no, we weren't going to have that opportunity. So then, you know, we were moving forward while figuring stuff out at the same time. Like you said earlier about using limitations as opportunities, we then said, well, what can we do that these other people wouldn't be able to do? And when we were seeing that everyone, everyone thought the goal was to just to make a movie as cheap as you could. And the way then that they did that was they condensed their production schedule. But we said, screw it, let's extend our production schedule. And so since it's about two people living on a lake, we said, let's shoot in every season. So we started shooting in early February with the knowledge that we would shoot for a week and then not pick up the movie again for like five months. Now that got us in a little trouble. (laughs) (laughs) because our lead actress decided to leave the industry altogether. Uh, She sent us a very interesting email that made it clear that uh, there was was no keeping her on the project. And there was no ill will, but um, I'll just leave it there. And uh, so we had to do a second casting. We get a, a, a new actress. So she comes into town and her mother comes with her. And then her mother, who was a real estate agent, was trying to start to play Hollywood agent. And she literally was like, you guys start shooting tomorrow. You have no choice but to give us what we want. Uh, and they wanted gross points of the movie. And we're like, man, we are just some scrappy independent filmmakers. And we've already, we're already getting shook down. And uh, basically what we did was we front loaded all of the lead actor scenes that were just him. So they could still shoot and keep moving while I attempted to negotiate with um the lead actress's mother and eventually negotiations broke down and we just said, see you later. And that was a tough moment because now we're in July and the movie is primarily summer and we have to recast again. So we do this whole new casting process and we finally find someone that we like uh, via Instagram. She commented on one of our actors posts and, you know, we were scouring every opportunity we could to find an actress. And he said, how about this gal? So we do an interview with her. She's great. She also fits the wardrobe. She flies in from New York. And now we're starting our summer movie in the first week of September. So now we're front loading any summer exterior shot to the front of the schedule. And there are summer scenes that we're now in fall. And we're just like, oh, thank God that swath of trees is still green enough. that we can cheat it barely got through that lead actress ended up being perfect. And they actually fell in love making the movie. So you're, you're, you're actually seeing two people really fall in love and they are now married and living together in LA. That's such a, I think the focus is going to get pulled towards NFTs, but the making of your movie is, is really awesome. Thank you. Yeah. But that's the thing again, because if we weren't independent, we wouldn't have been able to let the first actress go. We wouldn't have been able to tell the second actress to go and then find this third actress. So the fact that we were already able to navigate all of these challenges and curveballs has given us a resiliency and more or less a fearlessness now with the NFT thing where, you know, a lot of people are like, well, what are your expected outcomes? And it's like, man, we don't know, you know, (laughs) It's like sailing, you know, we don't know which way the wind is going to blow, but we'll be at the helm and, and, and guide it where we can and make smart decisions along the way as much as we can. But that's exciting. Uh, so we've been talking to other filmmakers as well, contemporaries, and it definitely seems like the future is 
owning your own studio, meaning it's all under one roof with smaller groups of people. We are growing up in this time where it's like, you know, we have one success and it and it's going to get easier. But like, from what I can tell, it just doesn't get easier. You just get better, you know. What Coppola did with Zoetrope is has always been my inspiration from when I was like a teenager. Him leaving Hollywood to go to San Francisco and, and make his own studio up there. That's, I mean, we're, we're here in Kansas City and we've chosen to live here because we like the quality of life here. We've traveled around the world. We'll shoot anywhere. We're not saying we have to make movies in Kansas City, but we want to be able to raise our families here. And so I think inevitably that's going to mean that in some form, we're going to have our own production companies based here. And we have good crew here. We have good talent here. It's just the pool isn't as big and deep as you would find in LA. But, you know, we, we fly people in. Your production centers are being decentralized as well, you know. So it's just an awesome time to be a filmmaker, finally. <laughs> Yeah, it's exciting. Congratulations on everything that you've accomplished. You have a great movie on your hands and you have done something that nobody else has done before. And I'm really excited to watch how uh, you guys grow as filmmakers as well and the the life of your movie, Latawana. Thank you so much, Charles. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. It's been fun. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having us on. Hey, and I just want to say I've been a reader of Movie Maker Magazine for like almost 20 years. So this is pretty cool. I guess I should say that if anybody is interested in getting involved or checking out the movie or if people want to even purchase NFTs, everything can be found at our website, lotawanamovie.com. And however you can guess to spell it, if you just put in lotawanamovie, L-O-T-A-W-A-N-A, just lotawanamovie.com has our trailers. It's got photos, posters, all of our NFTs and everything. Contact if you want to be informed about future drops we've got coming. That's where to go. Uh, well, thank you so much, Trevor, Tucker, Nathan. Really pleasure having you. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Demystified is a production of Studio Fest. If you're ready to make a micro-budget feature, submit your film or screenplay now at filmfreeway.com slash studiofest. Demystified is a StudioFest production presented by Movie Maker. This episode was narrated and edited by me, Jake Bowen. It was conceived and recorded by Jess Jacklin, Charles Beale, and Jake Bowen. The theme song was composed by Patrick Patrikios, other tracks used under Creative Commons licenses. To hear future episodes of Demystified, go to moviemaker.com or visit studiofest.com, where you can also learn more about StudioFest and subscribe to the show.